0: This is the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast interview with Carolyn Keeble.
1: And I was blown away and in that moment transformed the whole concept of what I was doing and where I wanted to be going with my own music therapy work and as a musician and percussionist, you know, and once I sort of moved in the direction of the frame drum and Arabic percussion. Then I met all the other instruments within that family and became absolutely fascinated and inspired by the dumbek, the darbuka, the Arabic tabla drums and the rick and Middle Eastern Arabic percussion, which led me to West African drum and dance music, which took me across the ocean to the music of Brazil and the samba and the bossa novas and indigenous music of the Andes and up into the garifuna Garinagua cultures of Latin America. And then over the course of time, you know, I, I continued to just keep, you know, looking and expanding and pushing the borders and realized every culture had its unique percussion and indigenous traditions. And I became fascinated by all of them. And fortunately, kept sort of like life unfolded and presented me with the next right action and the teachers and the resources who could open the door to those areas of study for me. And I just, you know, kept, I guess I would say I just kept saying yes
0: and following my curiosity. You're listening to the Music Therapy Chronicles, a podcast about music therapy from a variety of perspectives. Our ambition is to inspire and connect listeners through meaningful conversations, just like a music therapy conference you can listen to anywhere. My name is Trisha Kayati, and I am a board-certified music therapist from the New England region. If you like what you hear, join our group on Facebook and share your own insights and thoughts about the episodes. You can also connect with us on social media and online at Music Therapy Chronicles. Welcome back to the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast. Today's episode is part one of my conversation with Carolyn Keeble. In today's conversation, we talk all about drumming, world percussion, culture, and music therapy, and different cultures, and just deep dive into some philosophical conversation, uh, some great clinical application, and just a, a good conversation overall. I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as i enjoyed having it uh, carolyn Keeble recently uh, released a course with music therapy ed she also has other continuing ed opportunities she's part of the music therapy drumming community and she has lots of music you can find online to use both personally and professionally as always those types of things will be linked in the show notes for you to find The best ways to support the podcast is by subscribing to the show so that it is automatically downloaded to your listening device each week. You can also write us a review on iTunes. That would be so appreciated. It helps the podcast be more visible for other people trying to find this type of content. You can also find us on social media at Music Therapy Chronicles and become a patron on patreon.com and those links are in the show notes as well all right let's get into this episode All right, Carolyn, welcome to the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast. Hey, thank you. <laughs> Excited to have you on today. So thank <laughs> you for making the time to, to talk with me and be on the show.
1: Definitely appreciate it.
0: Of course. So to start us off, can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself?
1: I can try. I am based in Kalamazoo, Michigan on the west side, not far from the Great Lakes and grew up in the general vicinity. I've been a Michigander all along and dedicated to Great Lakes and waterways myself. It's a big part of life for me and swimming and being in nature. I am working in hospice music therapy predominantly for the past 15 years now and have been involved in music therapy education since um, really around 2001 with both Western Michigan University and then St. Mary of the Woods College programs, and also have been teaching international percussion at Kalamazoo College. So we run a West African ensemble and Japanese taiko drum group there that I'm quite involved with. And my background is world percussion. That's my specialty and, and great love and area of interest. So my music therapy world has definitely revolved around finding ways to synthesize and integrate those two core interests of music therapy practice and rhythm-based modalities.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm excited to really dig into that and hear more. So can you tell us how you found music therapy?
1: Well, it's not a very uh, admirable story, actually. I was in um, indecision as a senior in high school and I had been very involved with music and band, but also just lots of things. I was really interested in math and science and wasn't quite sure what, what was the right choice for me. And I was looking at physical therapy as a pursuit and then I just was reading through a listing of music majors that the band director had posted in the band room and it literally went categorically through everything you could major in as a music student and I got to somewhere below music theory in that neighborhood and I was like wait a minute I didn't see that there before and music therapy was tucked in there and it really picked my interest and it Actually, in that moment, I just kind of said, that's it. It must be something like physical therapy, but you get to use music and I would still be involved with music. So I'm gonna do that. And. <laughs> The rest just sort of unfolded. I didn't know quite what I had gotten myself into on a number of levels from, you know, just the world of a music major and its insanity. Mm -hmm. And then what it really meant to major as a music therapist and that you needed a principal accompanist, you know, accompanying instrument that at that time, certainly percussion was not exactly considered like the go-to for accompanying song repertoire and such. So fortunately I had grown up and p- been playing guitar since I was a kid and always had a, a great love of the guitar. So that helped me greatly because I did not have a background in piano. So had a lot of long hours in the practice room, getting some piano chops organized and mm-hmm. sort of uh, emancipated my guitar playing and got much better at it in the process. and. That's what I can say is I I ended up doing a a dual degree in percussion performance and music therapy initially. And in that process, absolutely fell in love with ethnomusicology and then stumbled on to Joseph Moreno's terms, um, you know, and discussions around ethnomusic therapy. And that really just clicked for me that that made so much sense and totally resonated with all of my interests and just you know things that I wanted to pursue and integrate in my work
0: yeah I love that so you you touched on how percussion isn't often viewed as like the the primary accompanying instrument uh and have you seen that change at all since you began your training to now where you are training music therapists
1: I would say that uh Several of us have worked to change that. I don't think it would have changed by itself, but there has been a consortium of percussionists who also chose to enter the music therapy field. And then we began to talk amongst ourselves and we actually formed a coalition years ago that um, we call music therapy drumming. And our founding members were Bill Matney, myself, Kalani Das and Michael Marchionetti, music therapists working in diverse settings and diverse regions of the country. And we have kind of a comprehensive collective background in Western and global percussion. So we put our heads and hearts together and designed curriculum. Bill put together Ta-taku, the use of percussion and music therapy as a college text that, that we all collaborated on together. And we began to offer a lot more training courses and workshops at national and regional levels and started a number of very dynamic conversations with AMTA and worked to have the competencies overhauled and rewritten. And, and there really is a lot more language for it. And much more consistent and widespread action in all our music therapy programs and curricula nowadays to address the functional needs of hand drumming skills and percussion as an accompaniment instrument. So we kind of like to think of it as the as the big three, but really the but really the voice comes first and then you have mm-hmm. guitar, piano and percussion as our as our full you know toolkit as the music therapist working in the modern era
0: yeah that was really well said Um, I hear more and more people talking about the voice coming first which is not necessarily something I personally heard in undergraduate I don't know if that's more common now Uh, but it's nice to hear it's reassuring that even if you as long as you just have yourself you you have everything you need
1: there you go I think we have to start there first
0: and I do think
1: it's been underemphasized and people have come in with great musical chops and zero uh, experience you know vocally so that's a, a real kind of disconnect because as a music therapist we always need to sing mm-hmm. and that is not necessarily clearly communicated up front. I think people get get down the road and then they kind of realize whoa I need to. I really need to get this together and and you know treat it like any other developmental skill set and take action to get coaching take lessons and to study diverse styles and improvisation and have as much of a musical command with our voice as we do with our instruments.
0: Hmm. Well said. So how I guess let's let's get into ethnomusicology. And ethno music therapy, take us take us on that journey. <laughs> well, that is a
1: that is a huge journey that you know for me became ignited because of my interest in world percussion. Mm. So what what happened was I heard the great frame drum virtuoso Glenn Velez play the frame drum at the World Congress for Music Therapy when I was an undergrad. And that was my first exposure to the complete expressive capacity of that instrument. And I was blown away. And in that moment transformed the whole concept of what I was doing and where I wanted to be going with my own music therapy work and as a musician and percussionist, you know. And once I sort of moved in the direction of the frame drum and Arabic percussion. Then I met all the other instruments within that family and became absolutely fascinated and inspired by the dumbek, the darbuka, the Arabic tabla drums and the rick and Middle Eastern Arabic percussion, which led me to West African drum and dance music, which took me across the ocean to the music of Brazil and the samba and the bossa novas and indigenous music of the Andes and up into the Garifuna, Garinagu cultures of Latin America. And then over the course of time, you know, I, I continued to just keep, you know, looking and expanding and pushing the borders and realized every culture had its unique percussion and indigenous traditions. And I became fascinated by all of them. And fortunately, Kept sort of like life unfolded and presented me with the next right action and the teachers and the resources who could open the door to those areas of study for me, and I just you know kept. I guess I would say I just kept saying yes and following my curiosity. And when a teacher said, "You know, you should come with me to uh, to Ghana," I said, "Okay. When should we do that? Next summer. Okay, let's put that plan in motion." Or, you know, hey, man, you know, you need to come to New York and study and come play dance class at Alvin Ailey. And then you need to, you know, come to the park on the, in the afternoon. All the conga players will be, will be there, you know. And then, you know, I met a, another teacher who led me to another teacher. And, you know, just through the experiences I was pursuing, one thing led me to the next connection and and resource. And I just kept connecting the dots and finding myself in Istanbul and then finding myself in Hiroshima and in the mountains of Japan, you know, studying Taiko with local people and with professional historical societies and groups and just always in my mind, you know, reconnecting all of this to the music therapy world and the work I was doing with at-risk youth in after-school programs and with individuals with special needs across a broad spectrum of developmental disabilities and individuals on the autism spectrum who had high rhythmic aptitude and even you know musical savantism and things like that and of course introducing it into elder care programming in the ways that we saw Alicia Ann Claire and Barry Bernstein taking you know hand drumming and vibrotactile stimulation into their Alzheimer's dementia units and having the participants drum with them and the level of engagement that that yielded. We went from seeing our clients falling asleep while we're strumming or, you know, doing our sing-alongs of the classic song repertoire and changing it up and introducing rhythmic materials, having them get more involved in active music making. And then, of course, layering the songs on top. So we still want to be able to present preferred music and have the connectivity of those lyrics that are so deeply meaningful. And even, you know, it's absolutely accurate to say that a lot of our older clients who grew up in the big band era, they were listening to very rhythmically infused music. The rhythm sections of the big band ensembles with Buddy Rich and Gene Krupa, you know, it didn't get any finer than that. It wasn't any more engaging than that. It was very rhythmically active and inspiring. And, you know, it's it's the most adorable thing when my clients say, Oh my God, you play like Gene Krupa. Oh man, you <laughs> remind me of Buddy Rich. You know, and I'm, I'm, I'm playing a, a hand drum or a djembe or a frame drum. I'm not even sitting at a trap kit or something like that. But the, the connectivity is there because it's speaking to them and it's stimulating them in that place, you know, neurologically where they're so engaged by it. And, you know to bring more and more of these materials into our NMT work is absolutely it's absolutely appropriate because we know that rhythm and RAS and all of the the metronomic pulse agent is so central to our ability to use these tools for for brain rehabilitation and such so I even find you know the differential between playing a hand drum with your hands and playing taiko style music where you're playing a larger drum and using bocce, you're using sticks. So if we're in a setting where we feel we can safely introduce, you know, the medium of sticks, you know, if we can give our clients and our participants that comparative energetic experience, wow, the things they can express with a set of sticks that they might not express with their bare hands. And similarly, if you have a djembe or you have a frame drum, if you actually share with people the musical techniques to really engage them and give them access to a greater level ex- of expression on the frame drum, then they can find for themselves there's a very different personality on a frame drum than a djembe. Even so much as to say, in many cases, people will express that they find that the personality of a frame drum is very introspective and intrapersonal. It's drawing them inward into a more reflective space. Whereas when we play a tubano, we play a djembe, we play this cone drum style family of instruments, it tends to be extroverted. It tends to be extra musical and draw us into more of a social place like we see with the recreational drum circle movement and things like that. So the more we work in these different modalities. You know, a drum is not a drum. You know, they are each uniquely powerful and can elicit and access dynamic clinical responses when we go more in-depth with our own relationship to the music.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love how you explained that about knowing the purposes of these drums and being able to teach the different techniques on them and how that can facilitate our client's own expression and self-discovery. Do you have any specific ways or specific techniques that you really like to start with when you're starting to introduce something new to a client?
1: well i think in a certain sort of way it's the same whether it's a client or whether it's a music therapy student who's planning to become a clinician Mm -hmm. you know we need to approach it with the same fundamentals the same expressive fundamental techniques so that we can elicit the greatest type of musical depth out of the instrument so that we understand that it's a resonant instrument and if we tilt the cone drum, we get a deep, deep bass response that gives us that rhythmic ground that allows us all to entrain and connect kinesthetically and somatically with the sound in a way that just sitting it on the floor and playing it, and it, it becomes more like a mono-dimensional cardboard box. Mm-hmm. If you don't unlock the actual music inside the instrument, you lose out on infinite potential of what that could do for you as your co-therapist. So that's a tool, you know, that's I'm engaging with both myself and my participant. And then my co-therapist is this drum, whichever style, if I'm choosing a frame drum, a cone drum, a, a larger taiko styled instrument, you know, and the more I understand about the tradition, then I know how to get the maximum expression from it and to share those techniques to open up the creativity for for the participant and to encourage them of course to find their own and explore it and to see you know oftentimes we would just you know a common practice with music therapists is to pass out an instrument and have the people explore it and find and discover the different sounds it can make. And then to add some information, you know, we can add content to that to help them find things that they didn't find on their own. But always they'll find so many things. But I'm concerned, you know, maybe they're doing something that actually might become uh, self-injurious. There are certain ways that you strike the drum that are not the safest way that will lead to your hand being bruised or your your forearm being tired and fatigued or this kind of thing. The difference whether you're playing open strokes that rebound or you're playing press strokes that don't bounce off. So a lot of people initially, I think they just kind of smash the bug on the drum head (laughs) and they are pressing in. And so they're compressing and contracting, but they're not finding the very important uh, release and response in the energy that allows you to begin to play more freely and to maintain your energy while playing. So it's not fatiguing or, even causing you to have sore hands or something like this.
0: That's a great example uh, and one that I have experienced often in sessions and I am not a trained percussionist and struggle with how to explain to the client how not to do that. So what's your, what's your useful phrase or what do you say um, to help a client make that uh, distinction?
1: sure well i think mostly it's modeling you know as much Mm -hmm. as possible that's why we really encourage the clinician to have the correct techniques because you're always modeling and your clients are always imitating what they see you doing Mm -hmm. so in as much as you know how to play an open bass stroke you know how to play an open tone stroke on a cone style drum That's the number one key factor is to first get your own proficiency level there. That way you can model and demonstrate and then encourage the client, you know, to match what you're doing. And also, you know, I try to explain and show both ways. And so I demonstrate, you know, this when I play this way, I don't feel any pain. I don't feel any discomfort and I get a big resonant sound. Right. So I strike with my palm towards the center, bouncing off to make a bass sound. And I show them in their own body and their own hands how to find that sound. It's certainly, you know, commonly misinterpreted to use the fingers Mm. to play the bass. And the fingers are bony and don't have so much flesh. So they don't naturally bounce off. They don't naturally rebound. They tend to stick to the head. So it's just kind of a demonstration for me and explaining it and showing them in their body. And if it's appropriate, I can try to do some hand over hand. But also, you know, whatever imagery works, like I say, okay, if I'm swooshing into the drum, I'm, you know, maybe I'm smashing the bug on the top of the drum or something like this. But I don't want to do that. I'm dribbling the ball, you know, Mm -hmm. so I'm dribbling the ball and it's bouncing or I'm having the feeling like the drum head is the surface of a trampoline and I'm bouncing off it. So try to use some, you know, relatable concepts that that help them to kind of click into a different level of awareness with it.
0: Love that. So helpful. So helpful. Um, and I look forward to using those phrases again when I'm back in person with clients and we have drums. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you have any? Indeed. other
1: My goodness.
0: Yeah. Right. We're all. We're all figuring it out still. <laughs> do you have any other like uh, really solid tips and advice for just like general clinicians, things that probably come very naturally to you um, and that you do all the time but that you know maybe students in your classes they they it takes you find yourself repeating I guess advice common advice that you have to give that people don't generally get otherwise well I
1: think it it just needs to be approached like any other, instrument of study and you take a bit of time and decide, you know, maybe for the next six months I want to develop my techniques and relationship to the frame drum. So there are tons of online resources, there's, you know, a YouTube channel where you can find all kinds of things just by searching for, you know, frame drum, basic playing techniques or you can search for my name. You can search for Kalani Das World Drum Club. You can go to our musictherapydrumming.com website. We have lessons and materials there. And there are lots of uh, instructional DVDs, materials put out by master players. I used to watch VHS tapes (laughs) of Glenn Velez to learn techniques until I could go and study with him in person when I could find he's offering workshops, you know, regionally and nationally. And there are always tons and tons of workshops that you can go to. So that is something to really tune into. You don't maybe, you know, if you're not living in the world the same way uh, a percussionist is, you know, we, we kind of have a I guess we we know what what channel to to go through to find who's teaching what, where and when. Mm. So that's something you, you, know, you could reach out to me for more resources, or you can just start to search for it in your area. What is it that you're looking for? If you want online frame drumming lessons, you know one of my colleagues, Marla Lee, offers an online frame drum academy. I offer occasional um, like limited online coaching sessions as well. One of my great teachers, uh, Rocky Danziger, out of Istanbul and Brooklyn, New York, offers a summer retreat up in upstate New York. I actually attended it several years ago. I went to study in Turkey with her as well. And the retreats are amazing opportunities. They're just these immersion experiences that you can go as a beginner, intermediate, advanced player. You will find challenging materials and curriculum and world-class top-notch teachers, instructors, and performers, The, the finest of the fine Teach in this manner. So even, you know, some of my great friends out of New York with Woola Drum, uh, every year except this year, they have mm-hmm. an in-person retreat that's been running for over 20 years in the Poconos, a couple hours out of New York in uh, eastern Pennsylvania. I went to it a uh, couple years ago. And you have the master jimbefola teachers, dancers, conga players, and you know, diverse styles of music being represented there for every style of global percussion. You can go for a weekend retreat and, you know, maybe you can use some professional development funds. Maybe you can write a grant. I go and study all kinds of things by applying for artist grants. I happen to live in a place where we have an arts council that puts out uh, twice a year opportunities for us to apply. We also have in Michigan, we have the Michigan Council for Arts and Cultural Affairs. I can apply for funding for professional development study opportunities through that agency. I know when I went to Japan, I received funding and my colleague from Fort Wayne, Indiana applied to the Indiana Arts um, Council, and she got her whole trip funded by her grant application there. So most people will tell me, you know, oh, I can't get the time off or I can't afford it. And I think both of those are false, actually. You have to be more creative in looking for funding and you have to just plan for it, you know, plan for it a year in advance and set the time aside for a three-day weekend retreat as a gift to yourself, a self-care workshop. And I'm sure, I'm positive, you can write it up with CBMT and get some continuing ed credits for it, for your professional development. So it's sort of like build your own CMTE, go and study something that you've been meaning to do and you just haven't felt you had time for it or you couldn't um, prioritize it in in one way or another. You can go to Woola with your whole family, which is like incredibly amazing. It's like, you know, go with your, with your partner or take one of the kids you know and they can take classes you all can drum dance swim ride the zip line and learn amazing you know skills while you're there so i've done all of those things for years is sought out the teachers i wanted to work with and attended workshops and retreats where they were teaching and then i brought it back and you know they're not teaching me what should i go do with this skill in a music therapy setting that's my own translation process so then i turn around and i can teach how do i use this in a music therapy setting so i offer workshops cmtes and some online courses through platforms like music therapy ed you know just during covid i've been trying to develop some more virtual classroom opportunities to you know get this information out there during a time when people are feeling stagnant and disconnected and also you know maybe they have a little more space to do some practicing because they're not doing some of the other recreational things they thought they would be doing that we normally are active in you know so it's a it's a really positive way to try and get out of this kind of stuck space energetically that that the pandemic has created in which we feel sometimes like we can't do anything but the virtual world has opened up and you know, just absolutely remarkable ways to give us access to things and at an incredibly affordable rate. I can say the things I've been doing virtually are much more affordable than if I went to do these things in person, which is, you know, absolutely wonderful. And I think how it should be because we all need it right now more than ever to help ourselves continue to find purpose and, and keep moving forward and stay positive.
0: Yeah, yeah well said you threw in uh your music therapy ed course which recently came out so i will have that linked for the listeners Um, nice thank you of course thank you thank you for all you're doing uh because you're you're so right stagnant that was a good good word good descriptive word of how i've been feeling so i'm sure lots of people have been feeling (laughs) yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. What an enjoyable experience that was talking with Carolyn. I uh, really love when conversations have a great balance of clinical application and also just some philosophical talks some thought-provoking ideas and self-reflection. Those are my favorite. Um, I hope you, the listener, like those too. But if there's something else you're really looking for to have on the show, let me know. You can send me a message online or you can email me at feedback at musictherapychronicles.com. Make sure you tune in next week to hear the second half of my conversation with Carolyn, more good nuggets in there, and especially make sure you're subscribed to the show so that that episode is automatically downloaded so you can listen to it when it comes out. As always, links to all the mentioned resources will be in the show notes along with our Patreon link please consider becoming a patron on patreon.com slash music therapy chronicles. That's a great way to support the show. You can also support the show by, again, subscribing, rating and reviewing the show and finding us on social media. We are at music therapy chronicles. If you or someone you know is interested in being on the show, or if there's someone you would like me to reach out to and have on the show, you can let me know by sending an email to feedback at musictherapychronicles.com. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode. Let me know. What you learned uh, from this episode, or any of them, I'd love to have some feedback about what you're gaining from the podcast. Uh, What are you enjoying about the show? Our quote is by Rumi, let the beauty of what you love be what you do.